Hi, everybody. Welcome. This is our very first episode of our podcast, What They Don't Ask. I'm Allie. And I'm Daniel. This first episode, we decided to record after over a year of recording. Uh, We are going to give you a little bit of the philosophy behind this podcast, why we dreamed it up, and, um, and then Daniel will tell us his story of grief. And these are very unedited, candid conversations. And if you are interested in relating to other people on your own losses, um, or if you haven't really experienced major losses in your own life and you just want to hear people's stories and how you can help in their loss, this is the podcast for you. We're really thankful that you guys are listening, especially this being our first episode. Um, Fair warning, it does get very sad very fast. And um, we are trusting that you're here because, uh, you know, we all have this human experience of loss and um, we hope you're here to can honor your own sadness in some way and also um, to offer hospitality to Daniel's story. So thank you for being with us. One last forewarning, this episode does contain explicit language. (sighs) It's so hard not to feel like people are already listening. I know. Like this is live. (laughs) (laughs) No one's listening. Right, no one's listening right now. It's just me and you. But they will. They will listen, but that's okay. After listening back to the episodes that I've edited, uh, it the 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 title "What They Don't Ask" is (laughs) very fitting. Yeah. And even as I was writing down questions last night uh, about ask what to ask you, it. Yeah, I, I'm just realizing that this isn't normal conversation. And yeah, no, it's, it's not. It's wild how I I think you you said it really well. Um uh, at one point, um or maybe it was in what you wrote last night, uh what you sent me last night, you were saying about feeling super alone. Yeah. Uh, and but being able to have these conversations helps you feel not alone. Yeah. In the grief, and I I feel like that has something that has subconsciously shifted for me. Yeah. Or through these conversations, it has in a way. I don't know. I don't. Want, I don't know if I don't know if the word is normalized, but it has. It has helped with my fear and general feeling around death. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I I just, I I don't feel alone. I feel like there are people that I can reach out to. Uh, Yeah, I just don't feel alone as alone anymore. Yeah, I think that like... You know, I think going into this a year ago, over a year ago, September, I think was our first, was my first time to like sit with people and actually 
film and record, or maybe it was even August, like even longer ago. Um, but we started talking and planning like last May, like May of 2021. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think the theory that we went into this was that there's not a lot about grief that's solvable, but the loneliness is to a degree the the best place to start healing because you don't have to be lonely in grief because grief is a really universal experience. But mm. being a person who came to grief young made it feel very foreign right. and overwhelming. And there just weren't a lot of people in my peer group that had relevant experience. And, and sure. granted, like the second my dad died, I had a, just a huge group of people that I had no idea had their own losses reach out. And like, even mm. with, even with that, like those first two years that I think one of the, the biggest, uh, complicating factors in my day-to-day -day life was how lonely I felt. Right. Right. So I, I definitely think that this practice of sharing stories with each other and offering hospitality to other people whose stories we don't know or who we might know a little bit uh, has really helped. <laughs> hmm. At least with my loneliness, here we are. I'm four and a half, almost five years into my loss. Right, in January. And yeah. I just don't feel, I don't feel the loneliness like I did. I've had so many conversations with amazing people about their grief now, mm -hmm. like just in my normal everyday life, like I'll pick up on something, somebody says something and I'm like, you lost someone, you know, and right. I don't have that same ping of like self-consciousness to be like, don't engage there. Mm. Instead, mm -hmm. I like lean into the, I lean into their hint and I'm like, oh, like, right. what, what was your, what was your loss experience? Like what, tell me about that. And it, le it, leads to this really sweet moment and it's not always like a long conversation but it you can just see right. i see their face come to rest because here is someone giving them a chance to share a really important part of themselves that is isolated for the most part right and even just recognizing it yeah just that that someone has seen it and yeah. saw their pain and yeah totally yeah and being seen in that i think that's been a huge part too is relating and being seen and mm -hmm. talking to people who understand what it feels like to have a, a huge loss like yeah that. yeah and yeah i i was in a bereavement group you know about this right after my mom died and that was that was very, very good for me. That was really powerful. And it was a huge part of, of healing for me. Um, but it was, it was pretty isolated, right? It was, yeah. it was once a week here. We were, um, this, this information doesn't leave this room. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anything that's shared here is, is uh is very it's private um, private yes yeah. exactly so 
uh then you kind of hop or then we we hopped into the polar opposite of we want to show this yeah. to the world <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and anybody who's willing to listen and it 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 did something else for me where yeah i i just I'm not afraid to have that conversation outside of mm-hmm. this bereavement group that I was a part of. And, right. And I also don't feel a huge drive to share all of that stuff. Yeah. Right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. I feel like this has been an outlet. And yes. I feel more reserved about yeah. sharing that stuff now. Yeah, and I don't feel the same like desperation in my friendships to be seen and heard because I have Mm. this, I've had so many conversations through this podcast that that have really, um, yeah, have helped me feel seen and heard. And it's not the same level of, um, like I don't feel as inauthentic when someone asks me how I'm doing and we don't talk about my grief process Mm. and it might and maybe I do talk about it uh but I think there's a little more um like I don't have to share everything at once and I don't have to like (laughs) like floodlight them with my deepest darkest moments (laughs) you know right right Uh, but at the same time if I if the conversation feels like it has room for that you know I don't you know, I, I definitely feel like more comfort heading into those moments of sharing because um, I've been I've been met with such kindness and warmth already. Like I'm not as mm. afraid of being too much for someone, you know. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I follow that. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess like for our listeners, I hope that that they're, you know, I don't know um, how it will, <laughs> how it will sit with people who listen. Like if it will be that same kind of transference of like ease and like lessening of the burden of loneliness. But that's what I hope. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah, me too. And I hope it inspires people who have been longing to have these types of conversations mm-hmm. that they can find a safe person and yeah and test the waters if they if they haven't yeah know. yeah and like there's ways to there's ways to invite grief into everyday conversation that isn't doesn't have to be overwhelming mm. and and also for people who don't have their own experiences of grief to see what it looks like to ask a big question and have it answered right right and to understand that like you know maybe the person will cry that's okay Mm -hmm. maybe they won't maybe you've asked them something they've been really longing to tell and it's not an imposition that you're curious about their experience it's a relief Mm -hmm. yeah for i and and i think that is for the most part and maybe there are some people out there that are not ready to express this. And, yeah, uh, totally. And talk about that grief and 
Um, if, if you're listening to this and you want to ask somebody about their grief, uh, if they retract, <laughs> yeah, just back off. But, yeah, totally. But, but I guarantee it will stick with them. Yeah. Like, I, oh, wow. Someone is interested. Yeah. Man, even when I was in parts of my grief where I, I wasn't ready to talk about it out loud, I was never upset when someone gave me the opportunity. Sure. Yeah. And, and granted, yep. people would say or ask things that were wildly inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. it was not, it was, it was like that stung and that would stick with me for a minute, maybe like 15 minutes. I might have a little pain in my heart or like a tightness mm. in my throat. But I think the more, the more pain that I, ex- the pain that I experienced most was, uh, not being, not being asked just like the title of the podcast. It was what they don't ask that hurt worse than, like the shit people say. <laughs> right. Like the right. things that the stupid things people say sting and yeah, it sucks, but also being ignored or like having that big experience feel like it's too much for you to be in a normal society and also grieving. That was harder. Yeah. I, I feel like that kind of leads into our our own stories now yeah um because yeah do you want to go first or shall i um i don't mind asking you first (laughs) oh boy (laughs) we've had so many conversations about grief that i feel like (laughs) uh you know we we pretty much know through and through each other's stories um but i think you know for the benefit of our listeners. I would, you know, it's nice. Yeah. Hopefully we can give you guys, if you're listening, give you guys a baseline because man, we talk about, but the time we're recording this right now, we have, we've been recording for over a year and we've said and shared a lot of our story. Um, but I think, you know, there's definitely moments where we hint to our story. So hopefully this can give you guys a baseline of where we're at, what we experienced in our losses and um yeah i think there's something really powerful about if you're asking people to go to these moments but you're not willing to go there yourself there's that's like there's an inequality there so hopefully we can uh dive as deep as our guests have and yeah 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 i i hope so too uh daniel do you want to start by just like telling us about like where you're at in your timeline of grief, who you lost, all the 30,000 foot view details. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, um, my, my mom died in 2015, October, 2015 from cancer. Uh, she had acute myeloid leukemia which is a very aggressive cancer in the bones. Um, and uh, that, so 2015, that would have been, or that will be about seven years in, uh, or it'll be seven years in October, this October. Wow. Um, 
which feels that feels very gnarly um i i just i can't i it's it blows my mind that i'm pushing a decade with this yeah uh yeah i was i was 25 when it happened um and yeah that's that's when and how it happened wow um i think with a story like yours where the the walk to death is really slow it's a very different experience so can you tell us a little bit about what it was like to experience illness with your mom sure um so my mom actually had come to visit me in LA. I had I had recently moved to LA. It was 2013. And it was summer 2013. Or I, I had moved to LA January 2013. And my parents came to visit me that summer. Hmm. Uh and uh while she was here, she passed out in the elevator of her hotel and some hotel staff found her and she felt she was really confused in the moment. And um, so uh, they rushed her to the hospital and uh, that's that's how I found out my dad called me. Wow. And uh, then I, I went to the hospital and, um, yeah, she, she was in the hospital bed and I'll never forget opening the ICU curtain Yeah, and she saw me and she just started bawling hmm. and, uh, uh, she felt so guilty because she came down to see me play a show. Uh, I was a drummer in a band and she came down for that and she wasn't going to be able to make it. And, um, and the type of mom she was is that she, she wanted me to still play the show. Yeah. She didn't, she, she, yeah. So, uh, I still went and did it. And, but then I think it was two days after that, um, we got kind of a theorized diagnosis hmm. of of what it was. The doctor wouldn't fully confirm it, but right, uh, he was saying that it was likely that that's what it was uh, was AML. So wow. Um. Yeah. Uh. What was so that's that? how I found out. What was that show like? The oh, show what you was the, oh, it was so bad. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was a rough one. It was one of our first ones, <laughs> and I think I was just so in my head, yeah, uh, about the show and about my mom. And, yeah. Um, I also remember 
<laughs> the, I think uh, I had invited a girl to come, oh. but uh, she didn't go. No, and, <laughs> oh. there, I know, and I'm I'm 23 years old oh. and just the so, stakes were really high. Yeah, right, right. Not and, only performing, your mom is sick. We don't know what it is, and there's a girl coming, uh-huh. but she doesn't show. She doesn't show. Oh. Uh, so wow. and that was that was slowly me lo- losing my uh starry-eyedness about LA. Yeah. <laughs> Just uh mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh um I think that was the moment that was the moment where I started LA started losing its glimmer slowly. Yes. Uh, how long have um, you been in LA for? Only six months. Yeah, it doesn't take long. Right. I mean, <laughs> but but you know, it was it was just the moment of realizing, oh, this isn't everything I thought yeah. this was gonna be. Yeah. And uh, And for so many reasons. Reasons that not everybody gets when they come to LA. Right. Mm. Right. So yeah, that uh, that's how I found out she was sick um, and then I actually, I ended up moving back for a few months to help because she was going to go to Stanford mm-hmm. uh, hospital. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I moved back to help uh, with things at home for a while. Uh, but then my mom wanted me to to come back to LA. Uh, yeah. She didn't want me to stay there. Uh, she would always say, um, she she would always say, I, I feel like I'm screwing with your lives. Oh. And, and she didn't, she didn't want to do that. She didn't want to, yeah, so. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I'm, I'm rambling, and I could just go on and on. Um, <laughs> how? Why don't we um, tell us how long, like the sickness, like the progression of the sickness and the different phases of like remission and return and all that. Sure, um, that is actually that is kind of tough for me to remember the times that she went into remission. And the times that she relapsed. Yeah. Uh, I honestly, I, I would have to go back and kind of track when we found out she was cleared and yeah. how long the treatment was. Because um, the first round was chemo. Uh, and then she went to remission. And then I think it was maybe three months after she went into remission, she went back for another test and um, her white blood cell level had spiked again. Mm. So, man. Um, so then uh, she relapsed and then uh, I don't, I don't remember how long it was until she got the bone marrow transplant. Uh, I think they found a, I want to say it's like a 96% match 
Wow. Uh, pretty quickly. Uh, it was, I think, between 96 and 98% match. Um, Which, like, what an interesting concept. <laughs> Our right. bone marrow matching someone else's. Right, right. Mm. How are you feeling right now telling us about this? Mm. Ah, <sighs> oh, man. I'm I am just like I'm I don't know, you just hear about the movie, the the story tales uh, of uh the um of finding a match right I, yeah. i'm just i'm just i i'm just thinking about like stupid lifetime movies of, yeah <laughs> oh they found a match you know and um and just yeah i was uh there was just no doubt in my mind that um that she was gonna make it yeah and it was going uh, to work right yeah right and i just remember so vividly my brother my younger brother saying like this is a for sure thing the bo bone marrow transplant is just like it's just the way to go yeah and and we were just that stuck with me and mm. and we thought it was clear and I, and, and the, uh, and I think the reason I reacted so strongly to that was cause, uh, um, when she relapsed again, it was, uh, just relatively quick when she died after she relapsed and we were, mm. it, we thought we thought it was over and right. and then she relapsed and i remember my my younger brother was at my mom's house when she found out that she had relapsed again mm. and I think in your questions that you'd written down, you had mentioned what, what was one of the things that haunts me. Yeah. And, um, uh, I remember my brother, my younger brother telling me, um, that, uh, that my mom sounded like a little kid, mm. like on the phone with the doctors. Mm. just like you know her inner child's coming out just being yeah. scared and mm. and so and it, it was just it was uh, a week and two days after 
after she told me, I think, I think she had found out that she had relapsed on a Wednesday. It was either a Tuesday or Wednesday. And then she told me on, on the Thursday that week. Mm. And then she died. Um, uh, not the the following Saturday, but the Saturday after that. That's so fast. Yeah, and and it was just that, just the roller coaster of it's over. Oh man, it's back. Yeah, and um, yeah. So it was it was close to about two and a half years. Um whole process wow two Um, and a half years and then down to a week and a half right right and just the entire time i mean complete denial uh, up until the day that she was gonna die when when i was driving up to the hospital wow i i thought i was doing it in vain i just Mm. she's gonna it's gonna be fine it's gonna be fine and then oh, I would yeah. have moments of absolute fear of mm-hmm. what if it's not okay? Yeah. And um Yeah. Yeah, so it was uh it was a gnarly two and a half years and yeah. Definitely feels like one of the longer portions of my life. For sure. I think something I didn't really understand about your story um, before we started this podcast, because I think was the um, like how quickly she declined there at the end, because Mm. I think a lot of like I at least assumed like, oh, he had his mom had cancer for two and a half years. You know, the end was probably this really expected outcome. Mm. And that was something that I that you had to correct of like that assumption of like, yes, this was a protracted experience of illness, but the way your mom went was not at all expected. And it was its own sudden death. Right. Right. I, I often want, I mean, I think our episode with cat. Yeah. And you know, she, she had talked about finding out that it was terminal, that there, yeah. there was no chance. Right. And um, part of me wishes that I, I would have accepted it more because yeah, that's, that's another thing that haunts me is that I didn't do much research hmm. on, on the statistics and, um, and there was there was a very small chance that she was going to make it and, right um i mean i guess it wasn't massively small i i think it was around 40% of people in her age range make it wow. um and and then it just slowly declines after that right um after each relapse right uh, and so, yeah, it, it, it felt 
incredibly fast in the moment of it happening, right? Yes. Because in my mind, up until she died, I thought she was going to pull through. Yeah. And, but part of me wishes that I would have accepted it early on and I would have moved home and I would have yeah spent as much time with her as I could have. Yeah. And, um, it, cause yeah, it, it does feel like it was quote unquote sudden. Right. Uh, given the scenario, given the scenario and, yeah. um, Yeah, yeah, it did, it did feel sudden. Yeah. Um, I think with my own story, which we'll get into later, but I think, um, you know, in talking to people like Kat, who everybody, you guys will love her episode. She's fabulous. Um, mm-hmm. But talking with people who have parents or whoever they love diagnosed and there's a chance to eulogize, and a chance to, while they're still with you, to hold their hand and know that it could be the last time and like before the end has come. Um, I've, I think there's this like level of regret and maybe jealousy of like, man, and it may be in your case, like, right. it's that regret right. of like, I wish that I could have said all the thousand things in my heart of how I love you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because so, yours that that was one of my questions for you was Yeah. And we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're okay. still talking about you. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, okay, okay. So can you take us through maybe that first like three months after you lost your mom? Hmm. Yeah, the the image that popped in my head was um was waking up in my brother's room i had i had come from i drove driven up to stanford from excuse me um uh, i had driven up to to stanford um from la uh with with my roommates at the time and uh i i remember going home that saturday that she died i can't remember if i stayed the night at my uncle ray's which was near the hospital but anyways I, I just, when you asked that question, I just remember waking up in my brother's room on an air mattress. Oof. And, I, man, I might have, I don't even know if I was on an air mattress. I might have not even had the wherewithal <laughs> to blow one up. <laughs> but I remember just praying to God that this was all a dream yeah and i was gonna wake up in my bed in la Mm. and i remember waking up 
still in my brother's room. And just feeling this immense weight of what was what was happening yeah and my mom my mom died life is going to be different forever yeah and i think it was just morning after morning mm-hmm. just not not believing yeah, not believing that it was true. I remember being in the bathroom and splashing water in my face, mm. like smacking myself, wake up, wake wow. up. Wow. Just. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there was one, I think the first night I, I remember having the super vivid dream that I I mean, I wouldn't even call it a dream. It was a nightmare for sure. Mm. Um, But my mom was in the back of like a broke down ambulance van. Mm. And she was in the middle of this field. Mm. And there was this figure that wasn't, like fully visible, huh. which in in my deconstruction of the dream, uh, I think, or my interpretation of it yeah. was that I think, I guess that was cancer. And, and my mom was in the back of the van and this being just set the field on fire. Oh my word. And it it was all the dry grass was surrounding the van. Oh man! And just complete loss of control. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it it was that feeling throughout mm-hmm. those first three months was just this complete loss of control. Yeah. A total brain fog. Yeah. Every little thing felt like a chore. Yep. Um just immense sobbing. Mm-hmm. Um I had insomnia for a few weeks, oh, which wow. uh a friend of mine who I won't name because <laughs> she she did it like outside of practice <laughs> and um so but she uh did acupuncture on me and oh, wow. it uh it really helped me with the the sleep or the insomnia that i was dealing with wow but i remember oh my god i i was at some friend's house it was kind of my friends yes they god they surrounded me Mm. in that time and it was uh, when i got back to la they were just ah it it was cool just multiple nights of hey what are you doing do you want to hang out you want to like get together with everybody do you need to talk and just 
felt very surrounded. Um, and I remember one night, um, we were at somebody's house and I had had, I think some chamomile tea or something. (laughs) And I had put it under my seat. Um, Mm. and at one point I was going to try and find my drink and I couldn't, I was looking around and then I got up. I didn't ask anybody that has anyone seen my drink. (laughs) I just wandered throughout the whole house. Oh, wow. Checking different rooms, looking in the kitchen, checking different spots in the living room. And I think at one point, someone asked like daniel are you are you looking for something are you okay (laughs) and then i said it i was i'm looking for my drink i don't know where it's at (laughs) (laughs) and and someone pointed out that it was under my seat oh man and that's when it hit me i was like oh my god I am in total brain fog. Yeah. Insomnia land. I uh-huh. am out of my mind right now. Yeah. Wow. And uh, yeah. The first the first 3 months were yeah, I could not think right. Everything just felt incredibly mm. foggy. Yeah. And yeah. Just yeah. moments like that. Oof. Yeah. That's a very poignant story to mm. share. Wow. Just like the total, like being disconnected from reality on like very basic level of like, mm-hmm. you can't even think about like where to find my drink. Like you probably right. went to rooms <laughs> right. that you hadn't even been in with your drink. You're just like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's exactly. no like sense or grounding that could take you through like a logical sequence of how to find something. Hmm. Right. Man. Right. Your brain isn't firing. No. The way that it normally would. Where it's like swimming ch- in check jello. The, huh? It's like swimming in jello. Yeah. (laughs) Possible, but really not very efficient at all. (laughs) Right. Right. Oh, man. uh, Yeah. My brain could not tell me, look under your seat or like in the more rational spots of (laughs) where to look. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, the, the first three months, I always like to ask about that because, man, it's just, uh, there's nothing like it. Mm-hmm. It's so distinct. And I think that the first three months are so heavy and so hard that it makes it really hard to feel hope for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Like, as you look yes. forward, you're like, yes. is, oh my God. how am I going to, how is this, how am I going to be a person? Right, right. If life is like this now, how... Yep. Like, how will I function? I don't know that I can do it. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So, um, like, obviously, those first three months are so terrible. Um, man, how you're you're almost seven years out now. Um, can you maybe tell us how time shifted your perception of grief and loss? Kind of like it, at like, from that three months to two ish years. 
like and then from like two years to where you are now Mm -hmm. yeah so my first thought is that yeah when my mom died i think she died at the end of october uh and i started um a bereavement group in december so so pretty uh, quick yeah yeah and they they even suggested waiting at least two months before joining the group um and so i was uh i was a part of that bereavement group for i think right about two years Mm. so um and i had also i'd started therapy dealing with uh, suicidal depression when I was 25. Wow. Um, six months before my mom had died. Wow. Um, which which was super wild. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't tend to think about it too often anymore, but I, I did for a while right after my mom had died. If I hadn't been in therapy, I often wonder if that would have been yeah the straw you know yeah. or not, not even the straw it would, it would have been the, the explosion the bo- the boulder <laughs> that broke the camel's back oh yeah wow <laughs> the explosion that exploded the camel <laughs> the camel's not even <laughs> oh the camel's <laughs> just disintegrated like it's <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny, Allie. That's good. God. Um, wow. Wow. It's funny that I can laugh about that. It's oh, yeah. Right. It it really was. It was yeah. a fucking bomb. I think Ryan said that in one of the episodes. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So. But I. So I was in therapy for those those uh first two years or two and a half years, I guess. Um, and I was also in the bereavement group for two years. So, um, and I think those both ended um, within one or two weeks of each other. Oh, wow. So, so from like full throttle to like full stop. Right, right. Wow. It was... Just every week, two times a week, full catharsis. Yeah. God, I feel like my mouth is dry and getting weird. <laughs> um, yeah. So full catharsis, um, and uh, to nothing. Uh, tell like us really. Tell us what you mean by catharsis. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think I mean. I think there's lots of crying. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. animal groaning, sweating. Wow. Uh, just complete I mean just diving in. Yeah. You know the those cries where you are leaned over mm-hmm. and there's no sound exiting yep. your mouth. You're yep. just it, it almost feels like a dry heave in yeah. a way. 
it's like your body can't do enough to fit like the it can't respond strong enough to the emotion right right and uh your body is just expelling this sadness the best way that it can yeah and um and so I think it, it was just a lot of that. Uh, therapy was more the animalistic, just full throttle sobbing. Um, and the bereavement group, that one consisted of a lot of conversations and a lot of epiphanies that I think I never would have had. Right. Hadn't been for that group. Yeah. Um. So that was really cathartic too, was hearing other people's stories and other people's mm -hmm. experiences and yeah. relating to them, either relating to them or learning from them. Yeah. Um, and so that that in and of itself was, was cathartic because, is that you? That, yeah. <laughs> okay. I was like. Well, it's my dog. <laughs> yeah. Are you? <laughs> I was wondering. Oh, I was, ransom. Wait, He's did freaking, they get a big dog here? I he is know. freaking out. Oh. I think I hear Ryan trying to settle him. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Um But yeah, just uh Yeah, so I had these two uh these two outlets for feeling um feeling all this emotion that was just slow or like quickly bottling up each week and then just this huge release of it yeah. in, in yeah. these moments and and not that there weren't uh guttural cries in bere the bereavement group and uh and there weren't epiphanies in um right right the therapy there there were both in both totally right? um but yeah i i feel extremely grateful for for both of those things that I had um I uh, I and I I feel like very privileged to have had those two yeah um and I know that isn't the case for a lot of people and uh um so there is like a a sense of guilt when I talk about that too. Right. Um, but, uh, it Which, did, you know, good for you. You took care of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, um, yeah, that was a, a huge part of that. Uh, Brandon Petrie was yeah. actually a, a huge part of funding my, my therapy. Wow. Um, Brandon and, Petrie, for those of you guys who are listening, is the pastor of the church that Br that uh, Daniel and I met at. Yes, right. So that's how me and Allie met was yes. at that church. Yes. And I I am no longer, uh, I, I, I don't think I can technically call myself a Christian. Um, I, I love spirituality and I love the idea of, of Jesus. Um, mm. but, uh, and, and that's, that's one of the things that makes me wonder about, uh, about the unseen and spirituality of, 
Yeah. Brandon offering for me to go to therapy. Yeah. Six months before wow. my mom had died and the kind of the. Like how serendipitous. Right. Right. Yeah. But and then and but I can't help but think that of people who didn't have that opportunity and this was the explosion yeah. that incinerated yeah. the camel. Right. You know? <laughs> and and yeah. so which um, leads to another it's a nice segue into like how did how did your loss like in that first few years and I guess we can get to how time shifted your perception of grief in the later years. I'm going to interrupt it for a second to like tell us how your loss like changed your perspective in your religious practice and in spirituality and in how you perceived the world like in general. Sure. Um, I think before my mom had died, I had started to question uh, how I was raised. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, I, it was little bits from, I think, when I left home yeah. around around 19 years old, just these little mm-hmm. droplets of information that I had never heard before, or different yeah. insight, or people who were atheists, or I, I was yeah. just experiencing different perspectives. Yeah, sure. Um, and when my mom died i think i had done a lot of deconstruction by the time that she had died yeah but it i i guess in a way just kind of sealed the deal for me of nobody really knows why we exist fully yeah. how we exist <laughs> yeah um if there is an afterlife, yeah, and if there is one, nobody truly knows which one mm-hmm. is the right one and right. which God you have to pray to in order to get to the right one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow, so for sure. Um, it. I think death, because of the nature of a specifically like Christian faith where that's so centered on eternal life, I think death really like forces you to face it, like face Mm. the question. And whereas like, if you don't experience death early, I think you can kind of like rationalize around or maybe like you don't have to, you're not forced to, to really truly sit with like, well, what does it mean for me to love someone that's gone? And how does how do I do that when I'm not sure? Like right, I don't know. You you tell me. <laughs> yeah, I, I I mean I, it, I it's hard to backtrack and really dive into how I felt back then surrounding religion and and yeah whatever my belief was at that time, it kind of takes moments of hearing other people that were like me yeah, in that time or hearing stories about people that were mm-hmm. like me, uh, which happened recently, but that's a, another story where it was just, oh my <laughs> God, I was like that person. Wow. And, um, and 
I, I was super judgmental. I was uh, in a way mean because I was, uh, I think Savannah said this is ignorant. And mm. I, I, I just, I didn't know. I, I, yeah. And uh, what was your, uh, t- t- ask me your question again. I felt like I lost my train of thought there. No worries. We're just talking about how your experience of losing your mom shifted your perspective in religion and in worldview in general. Right. Okay. So, um, I think the person I am now is much more comfortable with saying, I don't know. Yeah, for sure. And, And that feels the most honest. It feels... When I say it, it it um, I can feel physically my body just rest. Yeah, yeah, um, I I feel that too. And when I can just admit, yeah, that I I don't fully understand why my mom died. Hmm. Um, I don't know if I ever will, or if there is even a why. Um, right. Uh. I mean, I guess if you're talking semantics, like you could relate it to how and the, um, yeah. But I think, um, and I just thought of this, a huge shift for me was in, in Christianity. This was a big shift for me, um, from. Believing that ah, I'm going to start over. Okay. So in Christianity, we were taught that everything happens for a reason, right? Yeah. So. Like God's got a plan. There's a purpose to everything. God has a plan. So my mom died so that A, B, and C could happen, right? Yeah. So, So. Um, and I would hear that God has a plan for this. God turns all things to good and or right, whatever that right. phrase is um, or uses all things for good. Um, and I, I don't think that is fully false, but I think it's just backwards. Yeah, sure. And a huge shift that I had was realizing that because my mom died, these things in my life has have happened. I've become more empathetic. I yeah have uh, become more open to yeah uh, to other belief systems. Yeah. Uh, my I'm much more patient. I don't get yeah. as freaked out about the smaller stuff um yeah uh i like yeah the shift from like it happened so that versus because this happened now i feel this it's right exactly. instead of it being like a purposeful thing it's like well there's a cause and effect exactly and it, like the effect can bring goodness too but it doesn't necessarily mean that's why the bad thing happened right right yeah yeah and i think that that. that's pretty um 
kind of strictly a Christian viewpoint. Yeah. Um, and I think strict also like very specific types of Christianity. <laughs> right. Right. Like the, at least like the evangelical, more like mainstream version of Christianity that's popular in America is very mm-hmm. much, very much, um, yeah, like prosperity seeking and I don't know. Right. Right. And that just infiltrates just the general culture of America right. is this positive mindset that mm-hmm. there is something good to come out of this. And even though things do, yeah, things totally. may come out of it that are good. Um, I just don't look at it as, oh, I, oh, my alarm's going off for therapy. Um, but, uh, that, in order for me to feel more empathetic or feel more empathy for people and to be more patient and to be a kinder person um, and to have all these epiphanies that I have had in life. I don't think my mom needed to die in order yeah, uh, for, for those things to happen. Right. And it, it's just simply because that happened. Yeah. These other things have followed. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. that. So, I like that yeah, I think that's been that's one of the biggest worldview shifts and yeah. and shifts in religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, how where are you at now in grief? Like, where do you see grief playing a role, like day to day? Um, I mean, in, uh, now. Where I'm at now, it's uh, it's pretty heavy at the moment. Um, yeah. So I actually just moved back to Turlock. Um, some some family issues have come up come up and uh, and so I'm helping with my nieces and nephew, um, and helping my brother with them right now. And, um, and, and right now I'm actually, I, I haven't dealt, I don't think with the abandonment Hmm. part of things where I'm having all these little from this episode and this episode and this episode. (laughs) And I remember, uh, Jay Ann, when we were talking with my sister, um, she had mentioned, uh, in therapy that she was working through this uh, abandonment issue. Like my, my mom didn't want to leave, but she right. did. Right. And now all this stuff is going on with the family mm. that I don't know how to word this, but I, I want to do it, but I also don't want to do it. But I and I, but I also feel an obligation. Um, but I feel like my mom would have taken this role that I have. Yeah, and well, you've like, and because like you know, for context, like you're stepping in to help your brother with your kid with his kids. Right. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. And 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 so I'm living with them now, and and I've become 
my 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 relationship has totally shifted with these kids and I'm no longer the fun the fun uncle I've become yeah. like another parent yeah and wow. um which it, we still have fun and yeah of course but uh, but it's not the same yeah. um and uh but I just know that if what has if what has gone on um happened while my mom was here she would be the one right stepping in and helping with all the kids and taking mm-hmm. them to school and mm-hmm. helping them with their homework and you know do, doing all all that stuff yeah and i mean she would have given every second that she had yeah um and and so that's one thing that my my therapist brought up to me recently is that do you feel angry with your mom? Mm, Cuz now you're in this position where you're feeling right, for her. Right. Yeah. Right. And um and yeah, it's, it feels absurd, right? right to yeah. feel angry at someone who died who didn't want to die. Right. And um, so that's kind of where things are at the moment. And that's actually very recent. Um, I think before that, I guess I, I, I was feeling a lot lighter, to yeah. be honest. I, I, I remember us talking about like, you were like, I'm just ready for a season where life doesn't feel heavy. Yeah. I'm ready to feel lighter. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I was, I was, um, God, I feel guilty saying this and I don't want my family to listen, but you know, <laughs> this is, this is where I'm at and it's okay. Um, but I, I was, I liked what I was doing for work. Uh, I was getting ready to possibly move into my van full time and wow. do some traveling and, and do a lot of surfing and and I was just kind of gearing up for that and uh and then all all this happened and um so I was I was feeling a lot uh, a lot lighter about it I mean I would have moments where I saw pictures of her or um uh a memory would pop up and it it might cause me to cry right um but uh and then and then there are times that I would have these animalistic guttural cries as well, which if you are dealing with grief and you have neck pain, just let yourself cry for a few hours one night. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Um that that actually happened to me recently, which is another story. But um yeah, I was. I was just. I was feeling lighter, uh, mm. and it, my family. We were all talking about her, mm. and it felt light. And we would have jokes about her, and and <laughs> just things that she would do that were funny. And we talk about that while my stepmom is around, and she, it doesn't yeah. bother her. It's and right, it's not right. awkward, and mm. she's very understanding of our situation, and. So, yeah, it it looks much different than it did 
in the early stages. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, there's like no way to download an entire story of grief into an hour or 45 minutes, but is there, and you know, lucky for you and me, we get to share so much of our story through the rest of this podcast. Right, right, totally. (laughs) But is there anything that like for this episode that you'd like to mention about your grief that we haven't gotten to? Man, I I feel pretty good about it. Uh yeah, this I feel like we covered a lot. Um I mean, yeah, like you said, yeah, there's I I could go on and on and on. <laughs> and it is a so, deep well. <laughs> right. A, a deep well of grief and endless. It's it's bottomless, yeah. really. And um I mean I'm having different images pop in my brain, but yeah, I, I think that this was a solid amount and I think there are droplets of both of our stories throughout the whole Yeah. The whole series and yeah. um so yeah, I, I think I feel pretty good about what we talked about today. I'm really I'm always just like so thankful and blown away by how quick and how quick you're able to access those like deep emotions. I mean, you, you know, like you can't really hear in the silences, but I get to see, you know, we're FaceTiming. So I get to like see your tears and I'm just really Hmm. honored by that and thankful that you've um, offered us some trust in this space to share. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Allie, you're so articulate and so kind <laughs> and your your demeanor is is so calming. I mean I and I mean we that. just have a shit ton of rapport That's at this true. point. We have I, talked a lot about grief. Woo. Yeah. I, I do feel safe sharing these stories and tears yeah. with you. So Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's good. Thanks for listening to. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to our deepest darkest. This has been what they don't ask. I'm Allie, <laughs> and I'm Daniel, <laughs> and we're sad. Have a good day. Thank you guys so much for listening uh, to our first episode. Daniel, thanks again for sharing your story. We hope you guys stick around and listen to our other guests that we have for you guys. There are some really tender stories and um, perspectives that we're excited to share with you. Next week's episode features Allie, the other half of What They Don't Ask. Me. And, and yeah, so in her story, we get into a lot of the specifics of how it happened. Uh, and it's a little different of a conversation than, uh, than it was about my story. It's different than most of our conversations, to be honest, I think because of the nature of my loss, it was very centered around how it happened. So, 
uh, stick around to enjoy some, <laughs> some very raw details. But um, we appreciate you for listening. And we hope that in sitting with us in our story that you feel some ease in your own loneliness, knowing that you're not you're not the only one sad person out there. Um, yeah, we are so glad that you're with us. If you would like to share your story with us and connect with us in any way, uh, you can find us on Instagram and you can find our email in the show notes. Our Instagram is what they don't ask with a period between each word because it was very hard to read if it was all together. <laughs> and whether that's you want to be a guest on our show, we're starting to coordinate season two recording, or if you just have a story you want to write to us and be seen and heard, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. So thanks for listening. This has been What They Don't Ask. 